Yeah, Sorry you know. to come across a little bit of a stalker, but you've recently renovated your bathroom recently. I have. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Design Pod with me, Hamish Kilburn. And me, Harriet Ford. Design Pod is the contemporary voice for all interior designers and architects on the go. The topics and personalities amplified on the podcast will give texture and perspective on the key issues that face modern A&D professionals as briefs and deadlines become much more challenging. But it's also a safe space, if you like, for anyone who's interested in architecture and design. Harriet and I have been working on this podcast concept for what genuinely feels like forever, and we've overcome many challenges to get to this point. This podcast series is sponsored by Bathroom Brands Group, which includes established, trusted and regularly specified bathroom brands such as Crosswater, Burlington, Britain and Clearwater. Welcome back to Design Pod with me, Hamish Kilburn. And me, Harriet Ford. So Harriet, we're back in the Minotti London showroom, yet again, in comfort, in luxury. What a lovely place. It's a great place to record. (laughs) Yes, I love it. And today we're all about getting geeky, in the details. Fantastic. <laughs> and to do so, please welcome George Krias. Greetings. How are you, George? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So, tell us, you have recently launched your new company, okay. The Interior Design Geek. Why now and what's that all about? So, it's basically come out of the pandemic. So, I've spent two years speaking to clients virtually on Zoom and doing virtual presentations and I suddenly thought hold on, you know, this can continue when we open up in a certain guise. Mm. So there's there's sort of two sides to my business. One is the the Geek Studio, which is projects from beginning to end, hand-holding from concept design to dressing and artwork. Which you were doing before. Which I was doing before. And then the new bit for me, which is really interesting to me, is the design surgery. So I've had so many people over the years saying, I can't afford an, an interior designer. You know, it's too expensive. I just want to do my living room. I want to do some joinery. And I was like, okay, I don't necessarily need to go to site, but I could do hourly virtual consultations on anything, on micro design decisions, charged by the hour, and then people can access interior design mm. to whatever degree they want. Mm. Mm. And that's where Design Geek started. Mm. 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 And tell us a bit more about your experience as a designer. How did you start in this amazing industry? How did that evolve? And I started in a really weird way in this industry. As many of us have. As as many of us have. So I went to St. Martin's and I did graphic communication. I was going to say completely irrelevant, but not. Mm. Uh, So it was a visual art form. Mm. I then left St. Martin's and became an actor. Mm. Oh, okay. And I, I was acting for 10 years. But while I was acting... I was working at the Old Vic and they were looking for some, at the Old Vic Theatre mm. in Waterloo and they were looking for someone to spruce up, this was my smallest interior design job, spruce up the bar downstairs. You just said, yeah, I'll do it. And I said, I'm going to pitch for this. And I pitched against a few rep- reputable design agencies, but I knew the way the, the theatre was run and the way the bar was run. And I hooked up with an architect who was a friend of mine I was like, let's do it. Let's do mood boards. Let's do plans. Let's just do it. I've always wanted to do this. I was early 20s. Let's do it. And I got the gig. So suddenly I was designing the pit bar at the Old Vic. Fantastic. And while I was sort of training to be an actor and having design... uh, Done a graphic design, yeah. (laughs) Um, And it was a big hit. Like we sort of created an extra entrance. It became, we got a late license. It became a sort of place in Waterloo before the Young Vic had been done up and before the National had its bar for people to 
congregate. Mm. Mm. And the theatre world is so small that I then suddenly started getting loads of interior design gigs for other theatre owners. Mm. Mm. So Sally Green, who owned the Old Vic, asked me to do a VIP room at the Victoria Palace where Billy Elliot was playing. Mm. And I was like, okay, so this is weird. So I'm, you know, I'm, I've got, you know, I'm auditioning for parts, mm. but this design thing keeps coming back to me. Yeah. I keep, mm. I keep, you know, I keep getting work. Mm. So I started building my portfolio and I, I sort of ended up doing 10 years at Ambassador Theatre Group, being the head of interiors. Okay. So they own 46, well, they, at the time they owned 46 theatres around the world. And I basically did them all up while, mm -hmm. while I was there. Mm. I think it's a real lesson for young designers now who we all know are coming out of university, mm. struggling, um, having learned everything they've learned at university, worried about their next step. But actually these these experiences and these opportunities can happen in such a random way. And, and thank goodness they can, because that leads to creative steps moving forward, mm. doesn't it, really? Mm. I rejected it for years. Mm. For the first three or four years, I was like, okay, this is great. And I'm, mm. I like doing it, but I need to learn a bit more. I've got to learn on the job. I've got to... And, you know, this wasn't my original dream, you know, mm. all this sort of stuff mm. that happens when you want to be an actor. Mm. And, um, and then I was like, no, hold on, I'm going to Broadway and I'm, I'm spending two years designing a new theatre, mm. which mm. was launched for mm. the first time in 50 years. Uh, you know, a new theatre was launched on Broadway, the Hudson Theatre. Mm. And I was like, this is my calling. Yes. This is what mm. I meant yeah, to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and... The Hudson Theatre was a fantastic project because it was a massive team of people here and in America. Mm. And it used to, well, it was originally a wonderful a Tiffany glass theatre. It was gorgeous. And then it became a conference centre for two hotels. <laughs> okay. So the hotels. That challenged there. the interiors, I should think, a bit. Yeah, I mean, they, did, they couldn't touch it because oh, okay. it was landmarked as oh, you fine. Say, in oh, the fine. US. they didn't do yeah. any dreadful stripping out of it or sort of you know destroy well, it the the chairs and stuff had all gone and it was yeah conscious, but they couldn't touch the walls but yeah we went in there ambassador theater group bought it well bought the lease for it and worked with millennium who owned the two ho hotels either side mm. and we restored it amazing we restored the tiffany glass we restored all the paintwork we created mm. vip rooms we did up all the loose we did the carpets, all the chairs and everything. So. so how was it learning on the job in terms of all, you know, because obviously when you go to art school, I mean, I, I did a textile degree at Central St. Martins actually, and I didn't do interior design. So I, well, I, actually I did do a bit of interior design, but I, di I, I didn't learn all of the nuts and the bolts and the things that you need to learn technically mm. uh, until I got into a job. Mm. So, but I had, a com I had companies I worked for, so I was mentored by people within those companies. But you launched straight into you know, working for the client directly, which must have been quite challenging. Yeah, you've got to run, you've got to do your research, yeah. you've got to talk to people. I, I worked with a couple of architects. Who, which is helpful. Which is very helpful yeah. with regards to planning and structural elements. Mm. But there's a lot of information around. Mm. You know, a lot of members of the general public are interior designers. They're doing their own thing. Yeah. You just build on it and you yeah. learn. And you. Yeah. And London is amazing because yeah. you can find out anything in London. Yeah, so. Yeah. I didn't j jump straight into zero to doing the Hudson. No. It was 15 years before I yeah. got there. But yeah, yeah. at the beginning yeah. with bar design, it was all about, as as all design is, it's all about what the public needs. Mm. You know? mm. And the operational side. And the operational and side. Yeah, well. telling story. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. Yeah, and being, thinking about the brand you're working for. So how yeah. did you take that into residential? So I started 
weirdly working for various theatre owners' houses. So yes, I've done all... that progression as well. <laughs> Hoteliers' houses, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then after doing 10 years at ATG, which I loved, I thought, you know what, I want to get back into residential. I want to, I've done my hospitality, I've done commercial. Mm. And I worked for a company called Kenton London in Shoreditch. And they were a bespoke furniture company and we sort of built the interior design arm of it. Mm. Um, so it was an East London crowd, very different from the West End and Broadway. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, different aesthetic. Um, but it doesn't really matter. The need, you know, once you hit the concept design stage, which is about discovering what, the people, what anyone needs, mm. it's not about style, really. It's about mm. answering the questions of the client. Yeah. Mm. Um, so we did yeah. that. And then this year, I've set up Interior Design Geek, my own excellent, business. Excellent, wow. excellent. And how's it going? Really well. As, as you may know, it's really busy in our world at the mm. moment. Everyone's been stuck at home. Looking at the bits, bits of their houses really. that are falling apart yeah. and they're unhappy with. No one's spent money on holidays. Yeah. No one has spent... I mean, a lot of people have spent money on Amazon, but no one has spent money shopping. <laughs> um, so everyone's like, I've always wanted to do my mm. open up my living room or do my bathroom mm. or do my kitchen. Mm. So on the sort of studio side, it's very busy. Mm. And on the design surgery side i'm just getting the word out so mm. i've had quite a few one hour consultations mm. on random things mm. and that's the whole point of the surgery mm. so i've mm. done mm. i did it three hours on someone's budget that mm. they got from a builder I've, yeah. you know i've sort of done color schemes i've done you know the question was i've seen this tile on pinterest can you can you find it for me mm. it's a bit random you know mm. so it's just a you know, all these micro decisions and... So all these little things you have to answer for yourself, really, when you're doing a whole house project, yeah. you know, you're just developing, but just focusing in on those bits that they actually need, which is which is really, you know, effective. It's a, it's different... a very effective way of working, I isn't it? So. Yeah. It's a different way of looking at it. Yeah. It's sort of saying, you know, if you start a big renovation in your house, you are definitely going to spend money on an architect if you're extending. Mm. So interior designers, where do they fit in that mix? Because people don't necessarily want to spend thousands and thousands of pounds mm. on interior designers when they feel like... They could do it themselves. They've seen it on Pinterest, yeah. they've seen it in Old Deco, they've seen it on hotel mm. designs, right? Yeah. You know, they, they know the vibe they want. Mm. But they're also spending their own money and people are nervous mm. and people need a bit of hand-holding. Mm. Yeah. So instead of committing with this massive contract from beginning to end with an interior designer... Mm. You know, I need you for five specific things. Mm -hmm. I often find that the interior uh, clients quite like that when they say, "How do you work?" I always say, "Well, we can do everything from signposting, hand holding, all the way through to doing it for you. You can go away and come back, and it'll all be done." Yeah. You know, and then they can pick and choose because um, people are very intimidated, and they they do think interior designers are very expensive, mm. which I don't think is necessarily fair. They've got this idea that we're going to swan in and you know cost them a fortune, but but. You know, when they truly have a tight budget and they really don't have space, wriggle room for much, then a couple of hours just to kind of point them in the right direction, a mm. list of people to go and see, a few ideas, off they go. Absolutely. Quite often they come back for a bit more when they see the value that you're providing yeah. to their project. Mm. I think we couldn't have done that without you, which is very gratifying. I think that the reason why people think interior designers are really expensive, well, I don't know. No, I think I'm right about this. I think it's because a lot of the high-profile interior designers do luxury jobs. And probably are quite expensive. And also, you some know, of the so clients that you have, Harry, and mm, I'm assuming you mm, have had as well, mm, George, have endless budget and mm, will be happy to be on a retainer basis where nothing really happens, nothing, no progress really actually 
moves forward. Mm. I know that we've obviously spoken in the past and, you know, there's, that's not very effective at all. So actually it's, it's quite humbling and quite reassuring and refreshing for a designer to actually have a client that's like, no, this is exactly what I want. Yeah. And actually I am conscious of the budget and, you know, we need to come to a conclusion. It is really yeah. nice oh to God. have somebody who says, actually, this is what I need from you. They're very clear because they, mm. because they're not, they've not got a huge amount of budget. They, they're targeted mm. and it's a very satisfying um, uh, consultation because you give them what they need and they're so focused. They're not sort of so high net worth. They're kind of off in another stratosphere, but they're actually very focused on what they want. They get what, what they want from you. You give them what mm. they want job done move on yeah, but also part of the job is focusing the client yeah know, because yeah. people can come in and say i really want this vibe and you do a bit of scratching under the surface and you're like actually do you want you know it's about mm. clarifying the brief mm. it's literally yeah. about clarifying. and once you have a concept and you've got a brief you can make decisions really easily because mm. you know where mm. you're going mm. and what would you say is the most common demand from those clients in the surgery aspect of the, of the studio what, what are they really looking for i know you mentioned about budgets and color schemes but do you think there's more emphasis at the moment on bathrooms or kitchens bathrooms. really yeah and what specifically there is so much uh, information and visual language out there on bathrooms people don't know where to start mm. You know. People don't realise how expensive bathrooms are, actually. Yeah. That's the other thing. They need to understand, actually, they're quite an undertaking. Yeah, and they, they are, are expensive. Spaces. And again, without, I'm not going to mention the names, but there are so many programmes on TV that say, oh, you need five grand for a bathroom. <laughs> and every time I watch it, yeah. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't. Yeah. You, you might need five grand to buy the stuff that go into yeah. the bathroom. But, mm. Or, you know. Yeah, Sorry you know. to come across a little bit of a stalker, but you've recently renovated your bathroom recently. I have. <laughs> <laughs> And the I, tiles are amazing. Oh, thank you. Where are they from and how did you source them? Uh, they are from Mandarin Stone. <laughs> okay. And um, a classic company that's, you know, a lot of people are using. And it was their new collection. And, um, yeah, I wanted to go green. I've gone full oh, green. I love green tile. Bottle, foresty Brilliant. green. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I think people with bathrooms, they're just, you know, okay. So there is a trend at the moment with this whole indoor-outdoor thing, which yeah. I'm sure we're going to mm. talk about. And it spills into all aspects of design. It spills into all aspects. But people are looking at photographs um, on various platforms and they are like, I want this cement tile. Mm. And I don't know where to get it from. Am I getting it from Morocco? Am I getting it from Sweden or whatever? Mm. And then they're like, can I... So they always start with a look and feel, like this is the look. Mm. And then it goes to function. So people, you sort of clarify that, you know, tiles need sealing. They can or can't work with underfloor heating, all that sort of stuff. Mm. And then it goes into cost and function and, and accessibility, like mm. whether you can get it. Mm. Uh, because there's loads of products you can get in America and Australia and stuff. You just can't get in the UK. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. So look and feel is, tiles is the starting point, really, for yeah. bathrooms. Yeah. Then you get into layouts and, you know, shower rooms and baths and sinks and wall-mounted taps mm. and all that sort of mm. stuff. Mm. 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 But there's, there's definitely a trend for, in my, you know, in my experience recently, there's, there's a trend for sort of more rustic materials, so sort of unlacquered brass that then ages, yep. tiles that looked yeah. aged, yeah. you know. All the stuff that traditionally were outside 
in a street in mm. Morocco. Mm. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think it's uh, I think it's about you know being a bit more inventive than simply adding a plant to inject the outdoors into the interior, but actually looking at the materials and you know the sourcing. Mm. You mentioned social media just then. Uh, yeah, that's obviously a way in which consumers look at what they what they um, are inspired by or interested in, want to inject into their interiors. Is that a positive moving forward? I mean, I know it's a fine line to balance, but I'm assuming that it's quite um, a tool that's, you know, definitely progressive and, and something that is really helping your aspect of the design because people see what they want and then you can source whatever's affordable or, or available. Yeah, absolutely. You're not ever showing clients anything they haven't seen before. You're focusing their minds because mm. they've seen it mm. on Instagram mm. or mm. Pinterest. Mm. Or... Would you say that clients are just more aware? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing I often seem to have to keep repeating is, is there are many ways to skin a cat. Yeah. Um, because they all come in with, you know, we love this, we love this. And then there's a big debate about whether that's right or this is wrong. And I said, actually, there are lots of different ways to do things. Mm. And they're none of them wrong. I mean, yes, of course, you can make mistakes, but th- there are a lot of right answers. And ultimately, it's actually about getting rid of some of the choice and focusing in on... because. The, the the sort of plus side of um, the internet, etc., which I didn't have when we first started. I first started designing, is that the everyone's exposed to everything now, yeah, of course, and it gives unrealistic expectations often. Yeah. You know, and so you, what you read the first job is to actually push away all the stuff that can't be had for various reasons, and then actually budget. focus budget, yeah, budget accessibility, <laughs> practicality. You know, all those kind. Of, you know, you just go into you go. Actually, this is taking it into real life. But you go into a tile showroom. And they've done this amazing wall with these gorgeous tiles, but they've just butt-mounted them onto the wall. They've not put a grout line onto them. Mm. And so you've got to explain to the client, actually, that lovely pattern that's wavy across the thing that they absolutely love is going to have a little line, two little line going, or grid on it, exactly. (laughs) And, you know, there's all sorts of little things like that you've got to get over just to sort of move things forward. with showrooms as well, talking about showrooms, I mean, Mm. we're here, obviously, in Minotti, London. You have to see the product, how it's being used. And actually sitting here, talking, seeing these spaces, is in like a lounge setting the same with the bathroom yeah, I mean it's yeah. really important to see how well also things like I mean I try like sofas I try and get people to go and sit in the bath because if they're a real bath person if it's a bath yeah. once a year who cares but if if they love to come and have a soak after going to the gym you've got to know that that bath length and the rake at the, the, rake at the back is Works. the right shape for mm. them because we're all different shapes and sizes mm. you know and some people their toes don't touch the end which is dreadful <laughs> You know, if you're sitting in a bath and you can't wedge, it's awful. Bigger the better, I think. <laughs> you don't like the wedge. Totally crass. <laughs> <laughs> no, then it becomes seriously, it becomes a swimming pool. Yeah. And so I love we've it. we've done we did a we, we designed a um custom made, you know, you may have it made out of resin bath for a for a client and it she wanted it huge, but she was tiny and we kept trying to say to her, but you're gonna bob about in it. You're gonna float and you're gonna you won't float and you won't be able yourself. to attach yourself and let, and mm. so you can't relax. She just, it was the whole thing was having the massive bath, which was the whole glamorous thing. But actually, I think ultimately she wasn't going to bathe. And filling it up would take hours as well. So, but I don't think that was the point. It was the, um, yeah. I, I think companies reacted to, to the pandemic. Like tile companies have reacted quite well because they are sending, because you can't go to the showrooms. Yeah. They're sending out loads of samples. Mm. It's not difficult, you know what the, the problem is fo- is focusing the client mm. with, with what to choose mm. but everyone sort of developed their businesses to deal with the fact that people can't visit shows yeah mm. well this is one of my questions because i know that it is your job and also your passion but 
I mean, just keeping up to date with tile trends is is one thing or, or the latest tiles that are on the market. But, you know, across the board, products are launching all the time. Do you ever find it difficult keeping tabs of, of the right products or, you know, expanding your knowledge when, when also we're all trying to create these timeless environments? Mm. So what was launched last year necessarily isn't, you know, out. There's still there's still space for that. Do you find that difficult to keep? I think you have top to of? be aware of trends. Mm. I don't think you need to follow them religiously. But if you're advising your clients, they will know about trends mm. because with commercial design and all the stuff that you see in hotels that then gets filtered down mm. to restaurants that then gets filtered down to homes, people have seen something. Mm. Mm. You know, we've been doing fluted wood for the last two years. Mm. Mm. It started off in, I probably started in hotels, but I've seen it in restaurants and now I'm doing dining tables mm. where the base is reeded and fluted. Mm. Mm. And it's beautiful and it is timeless. Mm. So, but I, I don't follow the sort of colour trends as much because I find it absolutely, you know, exhausting to sort of say, you should have a blue kitchen. Mm, and, you know, and this year it's mm, about the green mm, kitchen. Yeah. And, and definitely put Colour yellow. Of the year. You know, it's, it's interesting, <laughs> mm. but that is not sustainable. Yeah. You can't keep changing. Your, no, and, and people now. understand I mean, that it's not like buying a jumper, you know, which, yes, you can have it Pantone canary yellow this year and that's fine because you can chuck it out and have the blue one next year but actually a kitchen is you know, going to last you 10 years hopefully so you can't do that with a kitchen no. you've got to think more strategically about it and you've got to think about the language of the house and whether yes. a sage green kitchen will work anyway mm-hmm. yeah but yeah. that's part of the design process because when, when you when you do it properly you're sort of making decisions with the client mm. you're not making it for the client mm. you know mm. you get to a point where you're like yeah this is where we've landed and this is the workshop and this these are the tiles and they'll hopefully be happy with that for 15 years, mm. you know, at mm. least. Mm. Yeah. You recently joined our uh, panel discussion for Hotel Designs Live on surface design and mm. looking at materials. What would you say are the surfaces at the moment that are really um, inspiring you or impressing you that have come out of potentially the pandemic and lockdown or what's launched recently that has just caught your eye? I think uh, obviously everyone is looking at sustainability and eco-friendly surfaces. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a pandemic thing, but that mm. is what this, that's a movement that's been going on. Mm. And I think there are some people who are really doing it, and there are some people who are talking about doing it. <laughs> yeah, for So, sure. you know, on, on that panel, we were talking about paint, but there are amazing paint companies who are really taking sustainability seriously. Mm. Mm. I'm going to reference them again, but Coat are terrific. Yeah. And they sort of recycle everything from the tins mm. to to not giving you little samples to giving mm. you sort of stick on samples they're looking at mm. the whole process mm. and mm. trying trying to be responsible mm. yeah um but i think again i don't think it's what i said the other day it's not necessarily about surfaces it's about the people who are creating them there are companies that have a really good ethos but you know even that's terrifying because i, I sat on a round table yesterday and it was chilling the fact that the, to actually go back and research where the materials have come from. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some brands, you know, they have very deep pockets for PR and marketing mm-hmm. and they're able mm-hmm. to say all these things and, you know, you just kind of agree with it. But for a designer to really pinpoint the journey of that material, it's actually you impossible. Can't. Can't. And a lot of these factories are completely unethical mm-hmm. in regards to how they manufacture and to move forward. I mean, sustainability and ethics, they, they kind of sit in different camps, but they, mm-hmm. they merge somewhat mm-hmm. sometimes. But 
it's really challenging because you you as designers mm. have the best will in the world but you know how can we then you know trace back where our products come from it's, you can't it's difficult. you can with paint it's i understand because you can see the process and also if things are made in the uk i guess you can go and check out the factories yeah. or mm. you can travel to where they are made mm-hmm. I, I don't know, there's even... so many, like, you know, I've just mentioned Mandarin Stone, right? I don't yeah. know when that tile, well, yeah. I do know it's come from Italy, but I don't know whether the ethics of that yeah. specific tile. And I know yeah. that you, George, um, you, you go through all the, as much detail as you possibly can, and I've spoken to a few designers about it, you get to a point where it just becomes a black hole of information that you just will never find out, unless you actually mm. visit the factories and see. But even, but even then, then they can present yeah. something that isn't actually the reality of how things are done. There's always a compromise. Mm. You always have to, you're never going to get it 100% right, and you've got to agree with yourself and the client needs to agree with themselves if they're happy with what's going on so mm. there's been you know a massive you know trend for you know cement tiles they're not encaustic but people call them encaustic mm. cement tiles mm. right and people are saying you don't need to heat them so therefore the energy consumption of a cement tile is way better than porcelain and ceramic mm. problem is it's made it's a concrete tile that's made with cement. Yes. The waste yeah, yeah, yeah. product from cement yeah, yeah. is a pollutant. Yeah. So yeah. you sort of go, to, yeah, you, know, yeah, you can't yeah. go, that's better than that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You can, you can, there are some companies out there like Elucid who are doing completely recyclable tiles. Mm. Yeah. They recently they, collaborated with Parkside, didn't they? Yes, yeah, they, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the yeah. collection. 95% to recycle. Yeah, it's like 98, 98 yeah. something. It's really, really good. Really great. Um, and they're growing their range because they started small and mm. they do like an amazing terrazzo and they do like sort of ceramic look tiles. But and then what's the price? Do you know the price point with that? I think they're, they're acceptable. Yeah. They're yeah. acceptable, that's yeah. That's not insane. that's the issue, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. sustainable products. But I mean, this whole thing about sustainability, I think is you're absolutely right. It's a compromise. Because nothing, even in a perfect world, would be perfect. So you're starting off thinking you're going to start from a per- perfection, but you would never start from perfection anyway. So you've got to decide how far down the line you want mm, to go. Mm. And there was a good, um, I heard a discussion a long t- a while ago about pl- use of plastic when the plastic whole question about plastic was really in the foreground. And there was um, a logistics person talking about moving food around. And this was just within a country. So, for instance, say within a poorer country, and they were using a lot of plastic to move stuff around. And she, and she was saying the thing is that if you didn't the food needs to be moved if you didn't do that you'd lose 30 percent of the food Mm. so what do you want to do do you want to develop the plastic so it's more you know it's more ethical or more 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 environmental friendly um and save the food is the way to go because you've got to save the food somehow you've got Mm. to get it from a to b they don't have refrigerated lorries they're not going to be able to do that you just that's the way it's going to be and that's your compromise Mm -hmm. you have to have uh, a point at which you say that is acceptable and Mm. i think that's the same you're always aiming for better but um along the road of trying to become more sustainable you are going to have these points at which you're going to be challenged Mm. and i think it's just really positive that we're all talking about it so yeah we're not pretending it's something it's not you know The more people talk about mm. it, the more it's going to become every day. Mm. Yeah. I don't get a lot of clients mm. talking to me about sustainability. No. I get a well, there's a big thing talking. about the word being not used. A lot of people aren't using it. Did you mention, or somebody mentioned to me recently that it's actually been replaced by something else, which oh, is, is and, and, and not, not, nothing relating to it. It's like a stupid acronym. Okay. Acronym, can't say that word. Yeah. Um, but it's... Uh, 
why can we not use sustainability? It's fine, just use it in the right context. Mm. Is know? it because they're afraid it's one of those words that's been overused oh, and just word. buzzwords yeah, been splashed it's everywhere? Really but it's really, but it you... does say what it does on the tin, exactly, doesn't it? Yeah. Sustainability. I, think so. I don't think it's a bad. We uh... did have one client who basically said, I don't want any of my paint to smell. I've had that. Yeah, I've got young kids. I, yeah, I, none I, of the VCOs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. VCO-free paint. Yeah, we've done. We did a house where they didn't want plastic pipes okay. because of the emissions and again, small young kids. But actually, ultimately, it was researched too late in the project, and because it wasn't a new build, it was a refurb. It was impossible to do in many instances. Mm. We did as much as we could, but mm. um, but that was the level they wanted to go mm. to. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, there are low VOC paint companies around. Mm. They're not as high profile as some of the others. Mm. I guess those sorts of demands that are few and far between, arguably, are great for you because then you just expand your knowledge and library in regards to what's out there for when mm. that demand comes up next time. Absolutely. But also people, even the main companies that a lot of us use, have got low VOC paints. Mm. You've just got to steer away from the sort of old gloss paint and all the traditional oil-based paints mm. Mm. you know just go water-based mm. that's mm. already which is fine already quite yeah mm. you know? and easy mm. to do mm. yeah so george yes. in each of our podcast episodes we have a quick fire round oh, so we okay. haven't prepared you for any of these questions so <laughs> is it yes ready. or no or is it, no, no just more explanation yeah <laughs> Uh, where's next on your travel bucket list? I know that travel is a huge part of you. Uh, it's not on my bucket list, but I haven't been for two years and I'm going to Greece in September. Excellent. Good. See family. Um, so, in an <laughs> ideal... world. spot now. Sorry, <laughs> So, in an ideal world, is it mountains or is it beach? It's in between. Okay. Because the, the sea's going to rise and I want to be sort of halfway up the mountain looking at the sea. I think that's a good spot to be. I'm going really off off the off the cards here, but um, if you were to live in a space and you were only able to have a kitchen, like a private kitchen or a private bathroom, the other one had to be public. Which one would you choose? <laughs> Obviously, a private bathroom. <laughs> I like cooking for I people. <laughs> I, don't, I don't live messily. I can, I can have a kitchen that's public. I'm under pressure, sorry. Said, no, it's right, it's a fun bathing, but a lot of takeaways, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I quite like the idea of an open kitchen, because it's like, you know, within the community, and I know that you've got a huge link to, to Greece, and that's a big part of you, and, you know, the culture and, like, you know, bringing people in. There you go, I'm saving myself here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, having... having, having um, Having got two, having had two sons who are of uh, your student age, and the just and the them living with their communal kitchens, <laughs> yeah, has, that's true, has, yeah. like, no, you have to be a grown up. <laughs> I quite like the idea of communal living, though. Hmm. You know, the idea where you share a big, a big building, and then you have one place where you all come together to eat and cook together. I quite yeah, like I the mean, idea you of like that. Everyone. But I do need my own shower space. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. need shower, and you shower. need. A home office where you yeah. can't hear everything. Yeah, exactly. But the communal, yeah. the, the the idea of community around food is is a nice, is a very nice, and that's very Greek, mm. isn't it? Yeah, it's lovely. What yeah. I love about your journey, George, is that you really have not stuck to the status quo of like going into a large um, studio. And a lot of people at the moment, a lot of designers are branching out from that. And certainly because of the pandemic, I think setting up their own studio, mm. you've always been very headstrong and doing your own thing. What advice would you give to your younger self if you could? speak to that person when they when you were setting up your own um 
journey, I guess. Oh, this emotion. Yeah. Um, what advice? Well, we like to um, go I deep. Would in initially say, uh, go with it, because I rejected the industry very early on for mm. years, because I didn't want to do it, weirdly. Mm. And then I found my passion for it. Um, uh, do your research. And it's actually a really easy interest, industry to get into. Mm. There are ways to get into it. Mm. You don't have to... Well, in my experience, you don't have to have every single qualification to get into it. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. And it's not clicky either. I've never found it clicky I, no, ever. No, no, I don't I mean, find it I mean, fashion, maybe, yeah. but, but design, everyone's just very Well, there always to... used to be that thing of, you know, kind of in the back in the old days, the ladies that wouldn't share their little black books. But, I mean, these days, you know, it's very <clears> collaborative. <throat> and, <throat> you know, being part of the BIID, you know, we all, we all share. We have WhatsApp groups and somebody needs this, you know, someone needs a... A fire fitter, someone needs a liquid yeah. metal person. We just share, you know, it's collaboration. We, mm. we, there's enough work to go around. That's exactly what I was going to say. There's no need to have, well, there is competition in this industry, but there's no need for it because there are so many people who want to do projects. Mm. There's almost yeah. not enough interior designers yeah. for the amount of work. Mm. There's a lot of work. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. What else would I say? Um, you know, I, I think, I think that's it. Mm-hmm. I think th- what I hadn't realised about the industry is it's actually, there's a bit of psychology, well, there's a lot of psychology that goes into it, and I hadn't quite realised. Mm-hmm. It's actually not about the colour choice and the layouts. It's about working with the client to make them feel comfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a bit of therapy in it. There's a diplomacy. Yeah. There's a diplomacy, there's therapy, yeah. there's psychology in it. You've got mm-hmm. to build trust because they're trusting you and you're trusting them, and you're going on this journey together and... Mm-hmm. And when, you know, the amount of money people spend on their houses, you don't spend that money anywhere else. You know, if Mm. you're going to buy a car, it won't be as much money as you're going to spend on your house. But you look at every single speck of the car and you go to showrooms and they explain it and test drive it and test drive it and all that. This is like, it's a leap of faith. Mm. So build trust, you know. Look under the surface of we want a mid-century home. It's not about, you know, it's about, Mm. you know, it's about building trust. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Well, cool that is that. all we've got time for. But yes. I just want to thank you so much oh. for joining us. Um, yeah, it's just been really it's been delightful. Thank yeah. you yeah. so much. Insightful. Thank you. Paris yeah. Topoli. <laughs> <laughs> So, Hamish, that was a great interview. Wasn't it, Just? Yeah, there yeah, seems to be yeah, so yeah. much synergy between your journey with, with George's. Yeah, I know. I know. We, we do all come at it from different angles. It's always fascinating to find out how somebody's arrived where they've arrived. Mm. Yeah, no, he was great. Really good And you'll interview. probably end up in the same destination because... It turns out you're both <laughs> developing or wanting to develop a house in, in Greece. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. It's the best place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it lovely. is so important to talk about the details. I mean, I think certainly with the the level of uh, or, or the mass amount of information out there in regards to products, it's very mm. difficult to actually mm. go beyond surface level. Um, mm. So it's mm. actually just really refreshing mm. hearing someone talk about what's beyond that you know? yeah yeah absolutely no it's a, it was mm. a really good discussion it's and it's great it was a great insight into you know how designers actually manage their clients how you the design process works and uh you know ultimately we're all heading to one di- destination but uh, we bring different things to it fabulous uh, and obviously one of the topics that we talked about was 
designers going from big studios and setting up their own studio mm. so our next guest mm. on design pod is uh well exemplifies that and somewhat more uh marie solomon who'll be joining us she's fabulous from bergman interiors um, and we're going to be learning all about her journey um and, and what's next for bergman interiors Excellent. as well i really look forward to that one yeah. Yeah. see you then bye